why 60 Minutes Facebook whistleblower is actually in on a larger cover-up. In an unlikely move for a whistleblower, partisan hack Francis Hagen declared on 60 Minutes that Facebook isn't censorious enough. Towards her political opposition, that is. The same woman that helped suppress the Hunter Biden story and exempted elites from Facebook's rules is actually in on the company's cover-up. Truth is, Facebook is a digital drug dealer, knowingly peddling a product that harms America's youth. In a rather startling change of pace, 60 Minutes has finally decided to critically address the tech cartel that holds an iron grip over the internet. More specifically, in its latest episode, the CBS show made the bold decision to hold a former Facebook employee determined to expose the social network's dastardly plot to tear at our nation's social fabric. It must be said that this was long suspected. In fact, if there was one thing that united the country, it was the near certainty that Facebook was involved in schemes to undermine the electoral process. Democrats cried foul over Cambridge Analytica's data collection in the 2016 election and asserted that Russian Facebook ads somehow defeated Hillary Clinton. Republicans, on the other hand, have vigorously protested Facebook's campaign of disproportionate censorship against conservative and right-wing users. Over the course of the last election cycle, the social media network has declared itself to be the newest gatekeeper of the Overton window, a ministry of truth, if you will. In just three months leading up to the election, Facebook banned 1.3 billion accounts from its platform for fake and harmful content, and have instituted a strict fact-checking regime that enforces the company's and the establishment's narrative across the platform. It is necessary to point out that these fact-checkers all of them conveniently left of center, have been repeatedly caught prioritizing a partisan agenda over any semblance of honesty. In the month before the 2020 election, Facebook used its fact-checking feature to suppress a revelatory October surprise that uncovered Joe Biden's corrupt foreign activities, as well as more than a few of his son's unsavory habits. The New York Post story had the potential to change the electoral landscape, exposing Hunter Biden's laptop and its shocking contents to the voting public. However, despite Hunter Biden not even bothering to deny the laptop's authenticity, Facebook announced that it would reduce the story's distribution. In survey data conducted in the wake of the 2020 election, there was a strong possibility that the suppression of this story may have cost Donald Trump the election. That is, if we briefly ignore the large amounts of election fraud that likely had the same effect. According to an MRC poll, 36% of Biden voters were completely unaware of the Hunter Biden laptop story, and 13% of them admitted that they would not have voted for Biden if they were privy to it. In another such instance of election meddling, the tech giant either fact-checked or outright removed posts referring to the COVID-19 lab leak theory, which hypothesized that the COVID-19 virus originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Facebook's policy against information suggesting that COVID-19 was man-made or manufactured, despite the jury still being out and no natural origin having been found, was almost perfectly in line with America's political divide and disproportionately impacted right-wing users. Furthermore, while the platform eventually reversed course and fact-checkers revised their self-proclaimed debunking, it did so almost half a year after Biden took office. Finally, and perhaps the most egregious example of Facebook's partisan censorship, the social media platform acted in cahoots with Twitter to remove Donald Trump's account while he was still the sitting president, banning him indefinitely. Facebook's reason for the suspension was the easily disproven claim that Donald Trump encouraged the January 6th insurrection. 
Regardless, not only did Facebook uphold its suspension until 2023, but the company also banned Trump's voice, removing videos which featured the president. Facebook and its defenders have long argued that regardless of its partisan bias, the censorious practices are perfectly legal. Facebook is a private company, after all, and thus is not directly subject to the First Amendment. If conservatives feel that they're getting a raw deal, they can simply start their own social media platform. What Facebook doesn't care to mention, however, is that it, according to the judgment of the House Judiciary Subcommittee, is a social network monopoly that, along with a small cartel of tech companies such as Amazon, Apple, and Google parent company Alphabet, kills its competition. Parler, a popular free speech alternative to Twitter, was one such company. In a coordinated strike following Trump's social media ban, Apple and Google removed Parler from their app stores, and Amazon stopped hosting the app on its AWS web hosting service. Gab, an earlier iteration of Parler, was also suffocated out of existence in the exact same fashion. Furthermore, Facebook enjoys a large degree of legal protection, granted by Section 230, that is predicated on a standard of neutrality that the company fails to meet. Section 230, derived from the Communications Act of 1934, exempts social media companies from being legally liable for their content. Since they are merely a platform and not an editorially-minded publisher, the responsibility for the content is offloaded to the users that posted it. Facebook's fact-checking and removal policies, however, clearly violate the Section 230 standard. Facebook has even admitted in court that it is a publisher, not a platform. Yet when Frances Hagen, the hyped Facebook whistleblower, finally spoke to 60 Minutes, she somehow failed to address any of these issues. In a rather uncharacteristic move for a whistleblower, she declined to challenge Facebook's authority in any meaningful way. Instead, she argued that the company is not authoritarian enough. Hagen alleged that Facebook was failing in its duty to regulate and excise right-wing content, even going so far as implying the company's complicity in the January 6th quote-unquote insurrection. For any readers wondering how she justified that perspective, given the current regime of one-sided censorship described above, her answer is actually rather simple. Some of the quote-unquote insurrectionists had Facebook accounts and use their social media accounts to socially organize. This aspect of the social media platform has long been acknowledged, dating all the way back to the dubiously titled Arab Spring. More recently, it has been central to Antifa's organization of summertime riots across the country. The only time that it becomes a problem to Hagen, however, is when an ideological group she doesn't like adopts the same game plan. As most would surely agree, organizing political terrorism is universally condemnable behavior. Frances Hagen, however, doesn't share that opinion. Her solution to the perceived problem was to double down on Facebook's censorious policies and, not so coincidentally, reinstate the company's civic integrity department that she used to be a part of. The objective of this department was to combat quote-unquote misinformation, which is just convenient shorthand for the elimination of right-wing content. As a Project Veritas undercover investigation uncovered, Facebook moderation policies have become little more than a political cudgel with which to beat conservatives, capturing alarming footage of moderators bragging about their weaponization of company policies. One moderator even went so far as admitting that they flag any MAGA hat they see for terrorism. 
Frances Hagen is not so different, informing 60 Minutes that she agreed to take the job only if she could work against misinformation because she had lost a friend to online conspiracy theories. Although the 60 Minutes article doesn't clarify, it is very unlikely that this former friend is dead as a result of her belief in notions that Hagen finds silly. So when this whistleblower refers to losing a friend, one must assume that one of the two parties must have ended the friendship. Given her general demeanor towards those she disagrees with, it seems likely that it was Hagen herself. Hagen isn't exactly politically neutral. In fact, she happens to be an intersectional feminist that has given speeches on the subject dating back to 2015. Her political contributions reflect this description as well, with Hagen making donations to AOC's campaign, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, and Act Blue, as well as PACs such as Courage to Change, which calls for racial, social, economic, and environmental justice. She was even part of the Facebook team that maliciously censored the Hunter Biden laptop story, despite later confirmation that the New York Post journalism was entirely accurate. It should serve no surprise, then, that the Facebook whistleblower seeks to leverage the colossal might of tech companies to subjugate her political opposition and actively purge heretics from her friend group. Yet, that isn't the only conspiracy at hand. In fact, the 60 Minutes segment with the Facebook whistleblower was actually part of a larger cover-up to distract the public from Facebook's more sinister schemes. For one, 60 Minutes ignored the bombshell that despite Mark Zuckerberg's previous promises that the company subjects all of its users to the same set of rules, Facebook actually has a two-tiered system that has exempted high-profile users from some or all of its rules. That's right, folks, there's an actual elite that is above Facebook's rules and policies. Facebook has even asked fact-checking partners to retroactively change their findings on posts from high-profile accounts and spare these accounts from the same removal policies that plague the average conservative Facebook user. Ever wondered why certain accounts get away with saying what you can't? Well, now you know. Also, the harmful effect of social media on America's youth, especially young girls, has become an open secret in recent years. And while the 60 Minutes story did spare a moment to briefly discuss it, it was saved for the tail end of the episode and the very bottom of their summary, where their audience was least likely to see it. In this particular case, Facebook isn't so much an issue compared to its subsidiary, Instagram. Young people disproportionately populate Instagram, and America's teens spend 50% more time on Instagram than they do on Facebook. Furthermore, more than 40% of Instagram's users are 22 years old and younger, and about 22 million teens log onto Instagram in the US each day. Meanwhile, only 5 million American teens log onto Facebook each day, and Facebook's share of young users has been consistently shrinking for a decade. Knowing this, the company does all it can to keep young users hooked to Instagram, despite knowing that it is poison. Facebook has known for years that its content is devastating young girls, and instead of addressing the chaos it has wrought, chooses to profit off of their misery. The data also indicated that Instagram worsens thoughts of suicide in 13.5% of teen girls, and makes eating disorders worse in 17% of them. 
Teens described their relationship with the social network as an addiction that they could not escape, despite wanting to spend less time on the app. One Instagram research manager even went so far as to say they often feel addicted and know that what they're seeing is bad for their mental health, but feel unable to stop themselves. Mark Zuckerberg has known all of this for a while now, but has refused to modify the social network in ways that might alleviate the issue, most likely because his profit margin is directly correlated with Instagram's addictive and harmful properties. What's more egregious is that Zuckerberg has, until now, attempted to hide this data from the public and has repeatedly declined to make Facebook's internal research regarding the platform's effect on young users public for lawmakers and academic researchers. In retrospect, it is no surprise that even in the event of inviting a so-called whistleblower onto their program, 60 Minutes still managed to tow the establishment line. The program was formally celebrated for its honest and neutral reporting, regarded as an unbiased cornerstone of an informed American's perspective. Yet, like so many others, it eventually succumbed to left-wing subversion and was reduced to a mere political mouthpiece. The once-beloved news program has now become a repository for partisan content, even going so far as blatantly faking footage in their attempt to manufacture a hit piece on Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis. In this case, the show used the story as a convenient excuse to lambast their political opposition and lobby for their exile from the internet. And for a program that is famously an hour long, 60 Minutes only spared a handful to mention that the largest tech CEO by a country mile is a digital drug dealer one that targets children at that. And although that hot take may get me banned from Facebook, that isn't exactly a high bar these days.